This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an evidence for faith adventure in science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. Well, I've definitely grown in my knowledge on marine biology. I came here and I knew nothing and I finished through this and I feel like I learned a lot. And I also feel like I grew a lot in my faith and spiritually because it has taught me how the Bible works. It's something that you'll never get somewhere else. Here is a place that I have felt very at home. The group is very inclusive and some of the, all the people you meet here are going to be lifelong friends. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marinebiology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marinebiology. Coming up on this episode. Also, it is so cotton-picking illogical. I mean, really, picture yourself. You're coming up to a city. You've got a camel with all your wealth on it. Oh, here's a big door, big wide open place. You can easily walk through this, but no, I'm not gonna do that. I instead see the little door. I'm gonna take everything off my camel and push it through, force my camel, get in there camel, get in there, get in there. And he goes through and then I crawl through. Oh, I'm gonna do that. You see how illogical this is? It's, it's fictitious. So nobody would do this. So I tried to figure out where in the world did this idea about the small gate come from? Hey, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. So glad you're joining me today. And so we're going to take a look at uh, a couple of Bible passages. And there's something here that's really interesting and very confusing. Uh, first of all, I just want to read the verses to you. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be reading out of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, the Synoptic Gospels today. And a very familiar passage, I think, to many, many people. So we're going to start off with Matthew 19, 24. I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version. It reads, <clears throat> again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. If you take a look at the same passage in the Gospel of Mark, it reads, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then if you take a Another book, one of the synoptics, we go to Luke, and in Luke we're going to look at chapter uh, 18, and we're going to see the corresponding verse there. And this one is Luke 18, 25, which reads, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. As I said, this is a very familiar passage to many people. Many people know this, and <laughs> I'll tell you, it sometimes gets really confusing as to what Jesus is talking about here. What does this mean, this camel going through an eye of a needle? What's Jesus actually referring to? And as I said, probably everybody has heard this passage. You've probably heard many sermons on it, as I have. And to be honest, I've heard it explained from the pulpit in so many different ways. And sometimes, I hate to say, but sometimes the, the minister is is going off on so many different tangents, and you almost have to do uh, theological gymnastics to follow him through um, to get to their conclusion of what they're saying that this verse actually means, to support their view. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, and the reason I want to do this series is because I just recently heard somebody citing this verse, and they cited the, the whole thing about the camel going through the eye of the needle. 
And that is an interesting thing because this person went on to state that the eye of the needle was just a simple little tiny gate, a tiny little gate in the city. And that cities had large gates and then right next to it, this minister was saying that it has a small, small tiny little gate next to it. And that uh, as the story would go, <laughs> a person would be coming to the city and he has, for instance, his camel, which is loaded down with a whole lot of his wealth, all of his material possessions. Now, instead of using the big gate to go in a city, to go through the eye of the needles, what they called, this minister called, and I've heard this so many times, they call this little opening the eye of the needle, he would have to remove all of his material possessions off the camel and push them through the hole this small little hole here. Then he would have to get the camel down on his knees and in a humble position go through this hole also to get inside the city. Then after that, he himself would have to humble himself down and to crawl into the city. Then once he's inside, he's inside the city and has his wealth and everything. And the way that uh, this minister was explaining this, he says that that is what God is telling us about how to enter the kingdom of heaven that what we must do is we must relieve ourselves, uh, sacrifice our materialism, our material wealth, all the things that we have, and we enter into the kingdom into a humble position. Thus he said that the way to the kingdom of heaven is through sacrifice and humility. That's how you enter the kingdom of heaven and obtain eternal life. Now, some years ago, I gotta tell you a story. I was leading one of our tours to Israel. And on one of the last uh, stops, one of the last days we had, we went to the Israel Museum. Now, if you've never been to Israel, check out our website because we are planning a trip uh, back there in January of 2025. And on this trip that we were doing, I had like 42 people, we um, went to the Israel Museum. Phenomenal place. Oh my gosh, all the artifacts that are there. Um, the Dead Sea Scroll Museum is there, but also outside, they have this gigantic model of the city of Jerusalem as to what the artist who was doing it, as to what he thought it looked like back at the time of Jesus. This thing is huge. And as we stood there, I pointed out uh, things about the, the Temple Mount and, and certain gates, the Triple Gate, and, and also about the city of David and let them see how small it was. We talked about Herod's palace on one side. We talked about the Kindron Valley, et cetera, et cetera. As we walked around this thing, my group was, uh, many of my group was staying right with me, hanging on every word. Then I came back to our starting point and I said, now let's, uh, let's go over and head back to, to the souvenir store so we can go to our bus afterwards. And as I turned to leave, um, one of the people in our tour, uh, a gentleman, very well educated, very highly educated, he said, wait a minute, Michael, you didn't show us where the eye of the needle is. And then a bunch of others said, yeah, where's the eye of the needle that we hear about? Where's that gate at, that tiny gate? I don't see it on here. So I came back to the model and I explained to them, um, you see the gates and stuff that we have here. Um, there is no small little gate because what you've been taught that there's a small little gate by the big ones, that's not true. There's no archaeological evidence to support that whatsoever. So there is no gate, a uh, tiny little gate like that. Um, that's a misinterpretation started back in the Middle Ages that people started teaching about um, what Jesus was saying, their interpretation, and it's, it's not true. There is no small gate there.
So um, apparently these people had been taught this also. They'd been taught that there was a small gate, and I've sat through many sermons on this. As a matter of fact, I can still recall sitting in a church service, listening to the preacher preach, and this preacher did it a different way. This pastor said that Jesus really wasn't saying a camel, that it's translated today as a camel going through the eye of a needle, but actually that it was a twisted anchor cable, a rope, in other words. And that's what he said. And he said that it was just a simple little area because air, because the word in Greek for camel and the word for like a cable is very similar. There's only one letter difference between these two. So um, he went on and finished the illustration saying it's impossible to put a cable, uh, a large thick rope through the eye of a needle. And so he was correct in his theology on this, that it was impossible, um, something that was impossible. It's a phrase for that. But um, I don't think the Bible has that spelling error in there. I think, you know, I don't think that's it. So I wanted to find out where all this came from. And what, let's just get down to it. What really is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about a small little hole or is he talking about a cable? Um, when he says a camel going through the eye of a needle. And what does that even mean whatsoever? So here I have my New American Standard. Let's first of all look at the verse again. And as we look at this, you can read along with me here. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So there's the verse. Now, to find out what Jesus meant, we have to use the New American Standard, or you can use an interlinear. But the New American Standard is very easy to use. And what they have done is they bold print the topic sentence uh, or the position of where paragraphs begin in New American Standards. It's something that the New American Standard is famous for. And it makes it very important for us to read passages out of the Bible and not take them out of context. So the verse we read uh, was verse 24. And again, um, it says, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But verse 24 is not bold printed. So what we need to do is look up, backtrack to a verse that is bold printed. In this case, it's the verse right above it. Chap um, verse 23 of chapter 19 is the beginning of a new paragraph. And this then is the topic sentence. And this topic sentence reads, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is harder, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the topic. So all the verses following this, this paragraph, this topic sentence, uh, verse 23, all the verses um, that are not bold printed pertain to that one paragraph. Thus, our verse here is pertaining to this. And um, that's our thesis sentence. So now let's turn, we're gonna turn back now to one of the Synoptic Gospels. And one of the verses we started with was in Luke chapter 18, verse 25. And looking here, we can read it out of the New American Standard, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of God. Notice that verse 25 is not bold printed. It is not the beginning of a paragraph. Verse 24, is not either. Verse 23 is not either. We've got to turn the page, continue going back. Now we come to the bottom here and we see verse 22 is not bold printed. Verse 21 is not bold printed. 20, 19 are not bold printed. But ah, verse 18 is bold printed. And here we see the topic sentence. And a certain ruler, 
questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So now we see, again, this is the topic sentence um, for this verse. But this is also found in the book of Mark. And we can take a look and see how it appears in Mark. So we originally read Mark 10.25. So we'll go back to Mark 10.25. Look at the verse. And in Mark 10, verse 25, here it is in the New American Standard. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there is the original verse. Notice it's not bold printed. Verse 24 is not bold printed. Ah, verse 23 is. Thus, in the ancient manuscripts, this is the beginning of a new paragraph. Now, you, you can't get this with the NLT, the NIV, and many other translations. Very few translations tell you exactly where the paragraphs were. New American Standard's one of the best ones for this because they bold print it. So easy to see. So here, we'll, let's read what the topic sentence is. It says, And Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. So now, taking the three passages that we have, the thesis question here is how to obtain eternal life, how to get into the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice something that you see in the topic sentence of all three passages, a reference to. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples, but who was the person who he is referring to? And it's a, uh, a ruler. In some translations, it'll say a rich man. Um, so there's each one of these, these uh, passages talks about, in the, the paragraph before, Jesus is talking to a rich person, a rich young man, as some people will say it, but the person is, is, uh, is rich. He has a lot of money. And then he says it's impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. So that's an important thing here to understand this passage. You see, what Jesus is doing, he's a rabbi, and what he's doing, he is um, referencing this ruler because of what is stated in the books of the Apocrypha, and one in particular called the Book of Tobit. Now, um, the book of Tobit, let's gonna, we're going to go there. We're going to take a look at the, to, uh, the book of Tobit because the book of Tobit states that salvation can be obtained, you ready, by giving alms to the poor. Giving money to the poor, you can get your salvation. So let's take a look. We're going to close our Bible here for a second and go to a different Bible. We're going to go to one that has the Apocrypha. And I'm going to turn to Tobit. Uh, 12, chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses starting at verse 8 and going through uh, to verse um, uh, through verse 11. So follow here as we read the book of Tobit. Then I'm going to explain something about what this book is and stuff. Um, it says here, starting in verse 8, let me get you right in the picture here so you can see it too. Better prayer with sincerity and almsgiving with righteousness than wealth with wickedness. Better give alms than hoard up gold. Almsgiving preserves a man from death and wipes out all sin. Do you see that? Wipes out all sin. Givers of alms can enjoy long life, but sinners and wrongdoers are uh, their own worst enemies. Now, the Apocrypha, what is this? The Apocrypha is not inspired scripture. The Jews never considered this holy 
um, any of the books there as being wholly inspired by God. They're not. And that's why um, I want to make this special note here. Some denominations have it in their, um, their Bibles. It usually sits in between because these were books that were written between the Old Testament time and the New Testament time. But the key thing is they are not God-inspired works. They were man-made works. They were important books of literature. And the Jews were taught these in synagogue and stuff. You would learn the books, some of them like the, the Maccabees talk about the history in between the two um, Testament times. Um, and there's other books of literature here. Tobit is one of them. So Jews knew these teachings. They're popular books of history and stuff. But they were never, and I repeat this is so important to understand, they were never ever considered divine inspired works of God. No, they weren't. This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an evidence for faith adventure in science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. And it's an educational hands-on experience that you will never forget. <laughs> it's gonna stick with you. And you learn things that you probably wouldn't have learned in normal school. It's not what I expected to come here, but it exceeded my expectations of what it would be like. Cause I thought it would just be like, okay, we do some homework, we snorkel, bam, done. You know, we see some fish. But like we got to see some really cool stuff and I've formed a lot of cool friendships that I probably never would have without the trip. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marinebiology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marinebiology. During the New Testament times, the Pharisees and the Jewish rulers would use these books like the book of Tobit and they would use it for teaching the children and stuff um, in synagogue. You would learn these things. Um, and in the book of Tobit, what we just read, if you didn't quite catch it, if you, instead of hoarding up your wealth, if you give money, almsgiving, money to the poor, it can erase your sins. You can have your sins removed by giving money to the poor. Now, this is what's important. God never said that. God never said that giving money to the poor removes your sin. This is a man-made written book. It is not something that God said or God did. No, um, but that's what it says in the Tobit. So everybody was being taught this. The Pharisees taught this and taught this to all the people. Do you understand? If you're taught this, if you're under, you've been taught all your life that giving alms to the poor can remove your sins, rich people would have the best advantage of having their sins forgiven because God has blessed them with their wealth and so they can give money to the poor. Who has an easier time getting into heaven is what their mind thought, uh, mind thought was than the rich. The rich could do it. And thus, thus the rich man has the best chances of having his sins removed. When Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, um, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. <laughs> He's saying it basically is impossible here. But do you understand now why this shocked the disciples and everybody who was listening so much? Because to a poor man, how do you get into heaven? And that's why it was just, it just shocked the roots of the foundation of what these people were taught because this is what the rabbis and the Pharisees were actually teaching. They were using the book of Tobit. So um, 
I actually heard, as a matter of fact, I, I don't remember the source. I can't give you the source. This was something that was, oh my gosh, this had to be back in the 80s or the 90s. And I heard of a rabbi um, who had died uh, a couple of decades before that, but he had died. And someone was telling me um, that this rabbi on his deathbed, some of the last words out of his mouth were, I hope I have given enough money, or he didn't say money, but I hope I have given enough alms to enter the kingdom. Isn't that a sad way to die? You don't know if you're actually going to get there because you don't know if you've given enough. Like, how much are you supposed to give? That's, that's a man-made theology. That is not from God. And that explains then why the disciples were so shocked. Because if a rich man can't get in, what chance do they have? So that's what this is all about. That's what almsgiving is, and that's where Jesus is going with this thing. And that's why it's so important to know what is the topic sentence, because this is somebody, as we see by looking at the three Gospels, it was somebody who was very wealthy, who was rich, that Jesus makes this. As a rabbi himself, Jesus used many, many illustrations. And so when he says um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, a lot of people have made all sorts of different ideas of what that means. Um, it's actually, this is what he's saying, that it's easier for a camel, a full-grown size animal camel, camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven because the way that they would do it would be by giving alms. In other words, you can't get in that way. That's what it's teaching. Also, um, we, we come across uh, Jesus talking, and if you've read the Gospels, you know Jesus frequently used illustrations. And I just want to point something out to you. Some of the illustrations Jesus used, actually many of them, were actually not originated with him. They were teachings from other rabbis throughout time. And Jesus being a rabbi, he used some of the same illustrations. Some of the things that Jesus said were his own. But he did at times, being a rabbi, he did borrow some of the other teachings. And here he's taking something out. For instance, let me show you something that's from the Talmud. The Talmud. Now, in the book uh, Barakat, um, chapter 55, we read right at the end of it, it talks about, and we can read there, um, the phrase, nor an elephant going through the eye of a needle. Now, this is in the Talmud. You can actually see this. So rabbis would, would use expressions, and other people would use expressions about this, because what it is, it's a hyperbole. It's a hyperbole, meaning things that are, are impossible. So when Jesus says a camel going through the eye of the needle, that would be like the equivalent of us today in our culture saying something like, oh, when pigs fly. It's something that, it's a cultural phrase, but it was one that was used throughout the time of the New Testament, that that was a phrase that you would use for something that is impossible. And as I said, it's actually found in the Talmud. So it's not that surprising that Jesus would use this. Um, and he's actually using this correctly. It is an impossibility. Um, so that's why Jesus actually says it, because he's telling his listeners that almsgiving does not forgive your sins. So what the Book of Tobit had and what they were, many people were relying upon, that is not the entryway into the kingdom of heaven. No. But let's get back to the original question. What did Jesus specifically mean when he said, a camel going through the eye of the needle. As I said, some preachers will often teach it was a small gate by the opening of the city. I'll tell you, there is no archaeological evidence to support cities having a small little gate there. None. There's no evidence for this. Also, it is so cotton-picking 
illogical. I mean, really, picture yourself. You're coming up to a city. You've got a camel with all your wealth on it. Oh, here's a big door, big wide open place. You can easily walk through this, but no, I'm not gonna do that. I instead see the little door. I'm gonna take everything off my camel and push it through, force my camel, get in there, camel, get in there, get in there, and he goes through and then I crawl through. Oh, I'm gonna do that. Do you see how illogical this is? It's, it's fictitious. So nobody would do this. So I tried to figure out where in the world did this idea about the small gate come from? And I traced it back, uh, this was years ago when I was doing a study on the book of Matthew. I started tracing this back, trying to find where it originated. This goes back to the Middle Ages. It does not go back to the time of Christ. It goes back, this idea of a small gate outside, you know, or next to the, the large gate of the city. Uh, it starts back, as far as I can tell, I found it going back into the 13th century. My research led me to, um, to the uh, Catina Aurea. What is that? It's an old commentary. Um, written by various authors uh, concerning the four Gospels, and it's written in Greek. Now, one of the authors was a guy whose name was um, Anselm of Canterbury, who lived during the 11th century. And as far as I can tell, he was the first person that I could ever trace back to talk about a small gate, that he theorized that there was a small gate there. Um, and that's where this sort of got going, and then it got expanded and expanded and carried on and carried on, because it does make a cute little story, but the theory has very little weight to support it. And like I say, it's so illogical, but you get a nice mental picture with it. Now, some people state that Jesus was talking about an anchor cable, a twisted rope or something that goes through the eye of the needle, which is impossible to do. You can't take a big anchor cable and put it through there. But it is a theory that I've heard preached from the pulpit too. People have come up with and they said that. So I wanted to trace this back. And as I started tracing it back, I took out a, a Geneva 1599 Bible. And that's one of the Bibles that probably one of the, the first Bibles ever to come over to the Americas, very popular Bible back in that day. Um, and as I looked at this passage in Matthew, I noticed that it had a little note there. And I just want to read to you um, what this ha uh, what the Geneva Bible has is a footnote concerning the eye of the needle, uh, camel through the eye of the needle. And it goes like this, it reads, Theophalatic noteth, and that's a person by the way, Theophalatic, um, noteth that by his word is meant a cable rope. But Canius alleged out of the Talmud that it is a proverb and the word camel signifieth the beast itself. Well, you got to understand, this is the English in the 15, um, 1599. It's not common modern English today. So who is this Theophilitic? Who was this person? He was actually a bishop, a bishop um, who lived during the 11th century. And it was he who wrote in his commentary that there was a translation error that happened um, during uh, the Middle Ages, early part of the Middle Ages, um, concerning the Bible, that it was a translation error, a spelling error, because he said um, that what it, uh, the word that was there, the Greek word um, was kamilos, um, which is a term for a ship's cable, but instead the scribe wrote the word kamelos. Kamilos, kamelos, you'll notice there's only one letter difference between the two. And camelos is where you get the word camel. It's the camel. 
And the oldest manuscripts contained, contained the word camel. So that's where this came from with this idea about it being a cable. So it doesn't go back very far. Like I say, about the oldest I could find it going back to was um, in the 1500s. And it was already obviously a cable or somebody was talking about it centuries before. But this does not go back that far into um, the church history, no. So in, in conclusion, just to wrap this up. When Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, what he's doing, he's talking about, he, he's using a hyperbole for something that is literally impossible. So, like I say, it's the same thing as saying, like, for instance, oh, my gosh, look at the size of this book. This book weighs a ton. I mean, we commonly say things like that. Does it literally weigh a ton? I don't think so. It's, it's something that's just hyperbole. Or one that's very common, well, that has a snowball's chance in hell. And that's another common one that's used. Jesus is using a hyperbole to describe and say to all the listeners what is taught in the Tobit and what people were teaching is wrong. That is not it. And he's using the old Talmud and telling people that it is impossible to, for us to remove our sins. No matter what you do, what kind of good deeds you do, giving alms, doing any type of good deed, you cannot remove your sins and enter into the kingdom of heaven on your own. It is totally impossible. That's what this is saying. He's, and we go on, as you read the gospel, he tells us there's only one way to eternal life, and it's through the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. God did the impossible. God makes it possible for us to get into heaven. God is the one who is capable of removing our sins. We can't. Grace through faith is the only way to eternal life. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope I made this clear going back and looking at these different things. And I hope you'll join us in future lessons as we explore more things and evidence for faith, showing you how true the Bible actually is. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Support the show. Become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. This break is brought to you by the Marine Biology Trip, an Evidence for Faith adventure in Science and the Bible in the Florida Keys for ages 14 and up. Here's what a past student had to say. Throughout the day, we'd snorkel, we'd uh, search different spots for different creatures, and then we would uh, classify, and then we'd do lectures by Mike Lane. He goes into deep detail about stuff that you probably didn't know about the Bible, and I feel like I have learned a lot more about like the crucifixion, even about like science with the Bible. So like that science helps prove the Bible, not the other way around, like people at school try to teach us. Find out more about this adventure by clicking the link in the description or go to evidenceforfaith.org slash marine biology. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash marine biology.